welcome to the Fit Vegan Podcast, the show where we help you optimize your health, fitness, and mindset on a whole food plant-based lifestyle. My name is Maxim Sigoy. I am a former triathlete, powerlifter, bodybuilder, and basketball player, and I've been vegan for over nine years. I'm also the founder and CEO of Fit Vegan Coaching, which has helped over 500 vegans from 20 different countries to completely transform their bodies and their health. I'm excited for you to hear today's episode. Let's get into the show. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fit Vegan Podcast. Today, I am joined by Ella Majors, an animal lover since birth and dedicated vegan since the age of 15. Ella is on a mission to transform the health and wellness industry from the inside out. She's the founder of Sexy Fit Vegan. She's built an audience that's 60K strong and that stretches across the globe. Her work as a speaker, author, podcast host, host, which I've been on, and coach gives people the tools they need to heal and empower themselves in a world that challenges them at every turn. Ella, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How are you? Good. I'm really happy that you got to jump on my show. Me too. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And so for, for the people listening, um, you know, Robert Sheik, really good friend, common friend of ours, put us in contact. She had the opportunity to record together and Ella has an amazing story. Um, and a lot of great knowledge when it comes to helping people transform and live their their best life. So that's always excited to, to bring you on board today. Um, so we'd love to talk about your journey to veganism because you started at 15. So it was way before it was cool, right? Mm-hmm. So what brought you to want to turn vegan at 15? Yeah, well, it actually started when I was seven. Uh, when I got out of school, I was in first grade. I uh, got in the car, I was headed off to gymnastics practice with my mom. And uh, she asked me how my day was. And I said, well, you know, mom, we learned about this guy named Daniel Boone. And for anyone who might not know who Daniel Boone is, he's one of our first American folk heroes. And he wore a raccoon hat and he carried around a shotgun. And and I said, mom, this guy was supposed to be a hero, but he was so mean. He shot animals and he ate them. Mm -hmm. And my mom was honest with me and she said, well, Ella, you know, we're just very fortunate these days we get to buy our our meat at the grocery store. We don't have to do that ourselves anymore. And it was at that moment that I connected what chicken was, that it was an actual chicken, like the animal chicken, you know? Yeah. And that light bulb went off for me and I was horrified. And I said, well, mom, right then and there, I said, mom, I'm never doing that again. I'm never eating, eating animals again. And uh, sure enough, I never ate animals again. And so that started my my journey toward veganism. I became a vegetarian on that day. My parents thought it would be a, a phase. Yeah, uh, they I always think, think it is. Right. Yeah, that's just, you know, a phase. I'll, I'll get over it. Uh, but there was no getting over it. And they realized very quickly that this was something I felt very connected to, that it was part of kind of who I was. And so they they supported me in it um, after after some time. And, you know, it's funny. I'm, so I'm, I just turned 43. And so this was back, that was 1987. And that was way before, you know, phones and internet. And somehow I, I, I got the information I needed between the age of seven and 15 to really understand the, um, you know, the whole industry from not only the meat, but also dairy and eggs and how they're all connected and the cruelty involved in all of them. And I had, you know, vegan outreach and uh, PETA sending me leaflets and, and pamphlets. And I was leading, 
campaigns in my middle school and high school. And um, so, yeah, by the time I was 15, I understood the industries enough to know what it meant to be vegan and that that was definitely what was in alignment with who I was and what I believed in. And at that moment, you know, I thought that if only everybody knew, if only everybody knew what was happening behind the closed doors of factory farms, that surely they would turn vegan just like me. Yeah, such an interesting part. Um, realizing that a chicken is the chicken on your plate. Right. It's crazy how there's even still adults to this day. There's not the connection between the two of them. It's just this thing that I buy at the grocery store versus like if you if you could grab a chicken, kill it, remove the meat and put it on a plate in front of somebody. I think they have a very different experience of the food that they're, they're consuming. Absolutely. We are so disconnected and so programmed to be disconnected. Yeah. And so what what led you to turn from, you know, we all have a little activist kind of phase when we transition at first, like I got to save the world, I got to save the animals and we go really intense. So what got you from transitioning to, to veganism at 15 to now being uh, and starting Sexy Fit Vegan? So going into kind of like the fitness realm? Yeah. So for me, it's always been about my how. I knew from that young age that really my life's work and the mission that I was on personally in this world was to reduce the suffering of animals. I've also always been into fitness since I was five. I was a competitive gymnastics and uh, into swimming and dance and taekwondo and volleyball. And, you know, I've always been into sports. So during my teenage years, I did go that route of let me educate through pamphlets and leaflets and sitting in cages on the side of the road, demonstrating what animals are going through in laboratories and in factory farms. And, you know, it was, it was a tough pill to swallow when I realized that a lot of people weren't ready to make that connection. They didn't want to know because it would mean they need to change and change is very uncomfortable. Um, So my whole life has been about what's my, how, what's, how can I use my talents, my skills, who I am to um, help reduce the suffering of animals. And when I realized the direct action, maybe that wasn't the best route. After college, I, I jumped into the fitness industry uh, as part of my career path and realized very quickly that by having a very long, strong, lean physique, that people were really interested. And so now they weren't running from me. They were coming towards me and saying, wow, how do you, how do you build muscle like that? How do you stay so lean? How are you so strong? And by becoming a personal trainer, it was this um, great way to attract people to ask me how I was doing it. And they were much more open uh, just through me living by example and me being this this shining light of what's possible on a plant-based diet. And so that was my how for many years was just through personal training, through inspiring people, through helping people with their diet and nutrition um, with their goals of physical health. And I, I say health, but, you know, I learned very quickly also that the fitness industry, especially back then had very little to do with health, right? Yeah. It was it's more so, about so right now still. Yeah. And well, I feel like, and tell me if you, cause I feel like I'm in this bubble, you know, half the time, but you know, the fitness industry might be the slowest of everything to come around when it comes to promoting plant-based or making that change or, or starting to at least accept that it's possible. So many, the percentage of trainers out there that say, no, you can't do that and reach your goal is still really high. Is that just me or is that what you yeah, think? No, as well? I, I agree with you. We're 
I also agree with you that we're also in a bubble. So to me, I was like, ah, people think this way because all of our friends are kind of vegan and into fitness. But yeah, definitely stepping outside the bubble. There's still that really hardcore belief that they'll tell you at least eat eggs, at least grab whey protein, at least eat fish. Um, But also a lot of that I think has to do with the certifications that trainers get, right? Because a lot of it, they'll always give you a little nutritional component of it. And like protein, chicken, steak, eggs are the thing that's needed if you want to help your clients get success. So I guess I think it gets reinforced before they get into this new job too. Yes. And then they find what what works for them, at least in terms of what's building them muscle. And they know that, yes, you can do that with chicken and steak and broccoli. Um, Broccoli, I just say that because that bodybuilder diet of like chicken and broccoli is like chicken, rice, broccoli, broccoli, (laughs) rice, and hot sauce or mustard. Yes. And whey protein oats. Um, like pudding. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. On the on the list. A sludge. You ever made a those? sludge. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> um, not with whey protein since I've been vegan since fifteen. But uh, yeah. but I you know I I did my vegan versions along the way, and uh, so I forgot the question now. Oh no! Of like, what brought you to build sexy fit vegan? Yeah. So it was 2013 when. And I knew, I knew personal training wasn't my, my career path. I knew it was part of it, but my heart, what I'm really passionate about is veganism, is plant-based living, is living with compassion. And I just didn't feel like in the years leading up to that, that I, I really knew how to, or didn't think maybe the, um, the market was out there yet. 2013 felt like a bit of a tipping point. Uh, it felt like the veganism was coming into the mainstream. In Miami, we were very behind, behind LA at least, and New York in terms of vegan options. But I found that the restaurants, you know, they started to offer some vegan options finally. And and I feel like it just was the time to create a brand. And I thought, well, let's, how can I bring veganism into the mainstream? What is the the top selling point. And I live in Miami, so sexy and fit. Yeah. Let's attach that to vegan, sexy, fit, vegan. And the brand was born. And I thought, you know, I I thought that, um, sorry, I lost my train a lot again. That's okay. So you said you're building sexy, fit, vegan, because that's what was popular in Miami. And so you're trying Mm -hmm. to have impact in 2013 was the pivotal point. Yes. So it just felt like the right time. And, and so I went for it and I was, I was surprised at how receptive it actually was. And there were a lot of people who said, are you sure you don't want to, you know, are you sure you want to go with the word vegan? Yeah. Are you sure you don't want to do with plant-based? Like that would be much more um, inviting. That might be more mainstream. And at that time I said, absolutely not. I said, I've been vegan for, you know, 20 years now and I know what people think about what it means to be vegan. I know what they typically picture in their head when they picture a vegan. And I am not any of that. And I want yeah. to represent what vegan means in, in a new light. And so I really want to attach myself and my lifestyle and the sexy fits lifestyle to the word vegan as a, as a statement in, in a sense. Yeah. And I agree with that. That's kind of why I went the same direction too. So you've been coaching for so over a decade now, ultimately, it's p- coaching people to, again, eat vegan and then 
improve their body composition and transform their health. Is that right? Yeah. So at first with uh, the Sexy Fit Vegan brand, I created a website. I created a blog. This is back when blogging was just getting out there as something that was popular. Uh, So I just started putting information out. I didn't really know the direction I wanted to take. I didn't have a bunch of people lining up for coaching programs yet. Uh, so I was still personal training at the time until 2015 rolled around. And at that point, because there were very few, um, brands like mine in 2013, I got a lot of recognition. Um, I got in bodybuilding.com, the world's largest bodybuilding, uh, online magazine. I got in shape magazine. I got approached by a publishing company who wanted to do a book with me. Um, so I really got on a lot of podcasts and because it was so new, um, and then I started coaching a, somebody who just moved to Miami, who looked up vegan trainers on Google, found me, was training her. And she said, you know, Ella, um, don't you want to like make more money? <laughs> like, you're not really utilizing all these things that you have. And I was like, well, she's like, you're undercharging too. And I was like, I'm charging you pretty good. It was like a pretty good rate. Yeah. And it turns out she was a business coach. And she said, how would you like to do an online coaching program? Mm-hmm. And I said, absolutely. Yes, that sounds amazing. I know I'm not supposed to be personal training as my as my long-term plan. An yeah. online coaching program helping people go vegan or at least move in the direction of plant-based and get fit and healthy is perfect. So in eight weeks, I had a coaching program up and running and had my first group of uh, coaching clients. And at that time, the program really was focused on kind of the nuts and bolts of how to make the transition away mm-hmm. from animal products into a healthy vegan lifestyle. That was the main um, main goal of the program. And that's how it was marketed. And it did really well. Yeah, beautiful. So online is so much better, right? Because you've done personal training. It's, it's you know, those missed training session at 5 a.m. when the client doesn't show up, you're like, oh man, I woke up early for nothing right now. So, and online allows you to have such a greater impact around the world versus the people that just live in Miami, for example, in, in your case. Like how how did that fulfill you in terms of like the bigger mission? The fact that you went online, you're able to reach people outside of where you just live. Yeah, no, this was all in kind of one of the values that I have, which is is freedom, right? Freedom to travel, to see the world, to not be in one place. And Miami is fabulous. It's an incredible place to live and I'm warm year round. So that's a bonus. Uh, but I am very adventurous. I'm somebody who wants to, wants to see the world. And yes, when you have a job that requires you to be um, in person, that absolutely is restrictive. And also, you know, a lot of people weren't ready to go the nutrition route. So being able to open the world up online allowed me to reach to people all over the world and really find my ideal clients that were people that weren't just interested in just getting fit, but also were ready to do it the compassionate way. And whether they they were considering it the compassionate way or not, it is the compassionate way. We I meet people with where they are. So if their goal is healthy and fit, that's how we start. Do I did I throw in all the amazing contributions they were making, even if it was unintended, absolutely as part of the program. So they go through a whole a whole course. And what it also allowed me to do was really bring in the mindset piece. I had gotten my master's degree in social work, um, 
leaving open the option to become a licensed therapist at some point. Uh, psychology was my uh, um, minor in, in college as well, always something that's interested me. So to be able to create this program that people went through that had all the components that would help them create a sustainable uh, change rather than just the temporary change. Let me just work out extra hard. Let me restrict my food. Let me get there and have this change only six months later to be right back where I started or worse off was very frustrating, right? As a a trainer, that's very frustrating. So to be able to build a program that helped people get sustainable results and to also then get to know these people and realize that they were struggling in some of the same ways I had struggled uh, in my 20s and early 30s with disordered eating and to start to address that as well. So my program really shifted quite a bit. Yeah, and that beautiful how we build something to help the world and then we kind of realize like, hey, that's the thing I struggle with. Let me help people mm-hmm. that were in my position of what I overcame. So if you're comfortable with it, we can dive into that because I know that something a lot of people are dealing with, especially nowadays, now that the kind of the social image that is put out there and the kind of really rapid marketing, a quick fat loss, you have to look this certain way for a wedding, for travel, all that. People are starting to have really unhealthy blueprint to losing the weight. And that can lead to disordered eating. So I'm curious, like what, what kind of like got you there and how did you get out of it? Yeah, I'm very open to talking about this. And this is because of the work I've done and the work I now help other people do in my 20s. And I, it's something I still kind of go back and look and say, okay, well, what what are some of the causes for why this happened? And I think there are multiple. Um, but basically, I got to the point where I put so much pressure on myself. I am a recovering perfectionist. And, you know, I took such a huge responsibility, or I saw myself as having a huge responsibility to the animals. So when I, I found that having this really uh, strong, lean physique was my tool at that moment, at that point in time for helping animals. That was my gateway to help animals. It was like, okay, now the pressure's on because mm. now my worth and my purpose in life is dependent on the shape of my body. So I got very, very strict with my food. Uh, It turned into, I also had some body dysmorphia. So I would look in the mirror and see fat that was not there. Uh, I would, you know, be counting and restricting and doing everything that I could to um, create the, quote, perfect physique that would attract other people to then ask me how I did it for me to then share my vegan um, story and help them go plant-based. So there was, I think, a combination of a lot of pressure. Uh, additionally, I made a lot of really poor decisions um, in my in my younger years. So uh, I was a dancer, an exotic dan- dancer in college. So when most girls my age were kind of exploring their sexuality and their bodies alongside other people their age, um, I was dancing. And my excuse uh, at that time was, well, I'm not going to work at a restaurant and serve meat. <laughs> so <laughs> what else can I do to bring in some cash to get me through school? And uh, I had a boyfriend who kind of influenced me into moving in that direction. So that really had an impact on my own relationship with my body. And I was just thinking about this the other day, and I've done so much to heal, you know, since then. And and we can talk about that. Um, 
but you know, I was, I was being exploited, you know, I was fighting for, for animals not to be exploited. And then I was putting myself in a position where I was exploiting myself basically. And so I had, I had a really poor relationship with my body. It was very disconnected with my body. So I saw it as this kind of tool, like I'm going to use my body to fulfill my life's purpose, but not really being in my body. And that was something that I've had to work really hard at um, overcoming over the years. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you for sharing that. I just want to point two things out for the people listening. So, and I'm sure you've noticed this with people that want to, that are plant-based or vegan kind of like fanatics, kind of like we are, they're going to prioritize animals, environment, and other things over their own health or mental health, right? If you want to put it that way. And the reality is you can have all three, but when you first start in transition, you don't know that it's a possibility because I'm sure you know a bunch of people that are vegan for the animals, but they eat the shittiest food ever and they, they don't take care of themselves. Yes. Another point I want to point out too is veganism is such a, a powerful thing in that people that are vegan that really believe in wanting to save the animals, the environment, and their own health will go above and beyond what anyone else will ever do to get the message across. Like there's no financial gain from like us promoting veganism and wanting to be vegan, especially when you transition, right? Like now we have, yes, we do have businesses built around it. I do want to acknowledge that, but it's meant so that we can serve people that were in our position so they can do it faster, better without all the mistakes, right? So something that's what it is. But vegans are so intense in wanting to serve the cause and get nothing out of it. You don't know, you don't see that from people that are in the meat industry that are gonna go above and beyond for you to eat a steak. The only people you can think of are like farmers, but farmers is just to make money. If they could make money growing soy, they would. They wouldn't care necessarily if it's meat or it's soy, whatever pays the bills for being a farmer. So like there's there's something about vegans that are just so passionate that will go above and beyond to serve the cause regardless of what it costs. And there's no other paleo, keto, carnivore people that would do that. So I just want to point out for people listening that are not vegan yet, and just trying to understand why vegans are so intense is because we're just so trying to serve the cause and get mm-hmm. nothing out of it besides the benefits of health, saving the animals and the environment. I think that's such a good point. And it is something that's hard to hard to understand, I think, um, yeah. for a lot of people. And so thank you, everyone listening who's listening, who's not yet vegan, who's open to, to hearing and understanding and learning. I think that's really huge. Um, and I think one of the the pieces here of this conversation is that opening that we've opened our hearts to this suffering. And it's it's a I mean, there's billions and trillions of animals that are are suffering and dying. And when we open our hearts to that, it can be very painful and something that we don't necessarily have the tools of how to deal with that on a mental and emotional level. And so that can circle back into some forms of self, you know, harm and making choices that are detrimental to our own health on one, one level or multiple levels. And it's like this pain that we don't know how to, how to necessarily deal with. Yeah. And how, how did you manage to kind of deal with that pain, right? Because a lot of people just shut off. That's typically their answer when there's too much pain. We just shut off. We choose to ignore it. It doesn't exist. It's not happening. 
So how did you how did you deal with that pain and how did you kind of go through the process of of healing through what you went through with disordered eating? Yeah. So I started learning some self-coaching techniques and getting to the place of practicing being the observer of my own mind, of my own thoughts. Um, I took some courses around that. I had some coaches around that and starting to kind of detach from this sense of here's who I am to say, let me be curious. Let me be curious about what's going on and then let me share. And one of the big pieces of having the coaching programs that I have now is that uh, encouragement for our members to understand that it's a safe space to be vulnerable because shame, it's really, there's a lot of shame involved when there's self-sabotage, when there's disordered eating, it's, it's a shameful place to be. And it's something that I hid for so many years from my best friends, from my family, uh, when I would restrict and basically starve myself and then binge on entire uh, container of peanut butter in one night. Like that's embarrassing when you're going through it and you don't know how to stop. I've been there, and, so I get it. <laughs> yeah. It's something that you don't, you don't want to share. And so when I started coaching myself, when I started understanding that shame lives and thrives in silence and when I started taking that step back and being the observer and started going through some self-coaching techniques of understanding that our thoughts uh, create our feelings and that we have the power to change our thoughts. And just because we have a thought doesn't make it true. And starting to really understand all of that and start to work through these things and approach myself with more compassion and to give myself the grace that I give everyone around me and certainly animals when I started doing that, I decided in 2000, I believe it was 2015, to come out with everything that had I had been going through in a blog post. Uh, so, you know, this is not something that if you are going through something like this, that you need to share with the entire world, share it in a safe space, share it with people that you love and trust. Uh, I tend to go big in pretty much everything I do in my life. So I decided to share it with the world. And I came out with a series of five uh, blog posts, really sharing my story and all the things that I had previously felt really shameful about and had hidden. I I just came out with them. And it was, I remember hitting, you know, clicking on publish. I remember that moment and this weight that was lifted off of me and, you know, there were nerves involved and, you know, how are people going to react and are people going to look at me differently and think about me differently? And, and I said, I, I don't, I don't care. I don't yeah. care not, as much as I care about being free from, from the shame and being free from this disordered eating. And um, so that was the start of my, or that was kind of the, the pivotal moment that really shifted how I moved through the world. And it also helped me connect with people because the response I got was extremely positive, extremely supportive. Yeah. Was, was that when you, when you press publish, was that at a time where you had done your healing or you're still going through your healing process? Yes. I was largely through my healing process at that, at that time. And I think that's another thing for, I know there's so many up and coming uh, influencers and leaders in the movement and, and so there is, I think, a difference between being vulnerable and sharing things when you're in the middle of it yeah, versus- Yeah, it affected so fast. Right. 
and thinking of, okay, what's going to be helpful to my audience? So if it's just for me, then yes, I have my close friends and and family that I share things as I'm going through them. But when I'm thinking about what, how I'm going to be vulnerable and share to my audience and the people I'm coaching and people that I'm here to help, it's not necessarily helpful to them if I haven't figured it out yet. So there's a difference. Yeah. It's not that I'm shameful about it, but it's that I want to release that information when I have something that's going to help benefit other people, not me just dumping my my crap on everyone, but saying, here's what I've been through and here's what I've learned from it. Here's what I have to offer to you to maybe you use in the ways that might be helpful to you. So that's, I was, you know, at the, that kind of end of that, there's never an end, but you yeah. know, on that side of the healing process. Yeah. And I think that's a big piece for people to take away is if you're going through something like what you did is great, seek help. Right. And then you dealt with it and you came out with it because I, literally the difference, if you come out early with it, it, it is dumping your shit on other people. And if you come out with it after you've dealt with it, it's leadership. Right. So literally the timing is important. It changes the the word and the value that kind of comes from it. Um thousand percent. And so I know that you've kind of helped a lot of people with with coaching, with eating, all that. I know it's on your on your website, you mentioned also like working with common with patterns. Um, I'm a big fan of the whole psychology component. So what are common patterns that you see in people that you work with and how do you resolve them? Let's just go with the, like the, the three biggest ones that you notice that the audience would relate to. Well, you know, I think one of the main places we start in my coaching programs is just how people approach themselves, their self-talk and what their patterns around self-talk are. And I, I work mostly with, with women and most of their self-talk, I'm like, would you ever speak to any other human, especially somebody you care about, like you speak to yourself? Would you look at them and say, I'm, I'm fat, I'm ugly, you know, would you pinch their fat? Like none of that would happen with somebody you care about. So let's yeah. start to first observe and identify the patterns of how you're talking to yourself and start to shift those. And these are things that you know, we're talking about reprogramming here. We're talking about subconscious programming, which runs the show 90, 95% of the time. These are the programs that we developed often before we were seven years old that we're not even aware of. We think they are who we are. We think these thoughts are true. Mm -hmm. We think we know who we are. And they're all things that were programmed into us by our by society, by our parents, by our teachers, by other people. Um, so the sooner we can start to recognize that pattern of how we talk to ourselves and become the observer and then start to introduce um, my favorite mantra to start most people out with is I approach myself with curiosity and compassion. And we look at the patterns, we look at the, you know, patterns of eating, the snacking, you know, coming home from work, feeling stressed out, going automatically to grab the bag of potato chips or whatever it is, out of the cabinet, sit down, watch some Netflix to unwind because you're stressed out. There's another pattern, right? Mm -hmm. What is behind that? And what would you do if you actually loved yourself? What would that look like? Is that pattern a pattern of somebody that loves themselves? Because if we can make conscious choices, if we can learn how to switch into our conscious brain as we change the, the subconscious programming, 
then we get to create a new subconscious that's running the show 90 to 95% of the time that is a healthy pattern, right? So it's that coaching program period of, you know, a few months where it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of energy just to keep switching into the conscious mind. That's why we have a subconscious. We can't, you know, it's exhausting to be in your conscious yeah. and make, if we had to do that, we would have to learn how to drive again every time we got in a car, right? But we kind of get in a car and we don't even think about what we're doing. Thank goodness. So that'd be yeah. a lot of energy, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really powerful of the standpoint of being the observer because we're so good at giving advice to other people, but we suck at giving it to ourselves. Like you said, we're the harshest on ourselves compared to all the people around us. So I think it's a really powerful exercise to people to have that different point of view, ultimately, so they can see the bigger picture versus just the pixel that they see in front of them. What, so what, are, what are other patterns that you notice with people? Because we you talked about sustainable fat loss, right? People losing the weight for six months and then putting it back on six months after. So what are common patterns that you see there? Well, another, uh, another um, kind of mindset shift that we work on is people often think that motivation needs to come first and action yeah. comes second, right? But what we what we talk about is no, action needs to come first a lot of the time. So we can we don't need to wait around for motivation. And we have what we call a self-empowerment coaching system that helps people take take a pause, take a pause before action to then uh, recognize the thoughts that are creating the feelings that you're having. And then knowing that we can now create intentional thoughts that'll create intentional actions. Motivation is not in the self-empowerment coaching system, right? Yeah. It's it's all about intention. So when we get in this pattern of thinking, I need to feel motivated in order to act, that needs to switch right away um, to get to a place where we're saying, no, let me, let me pause, let me Think about, okay, how am I feeling? I'm feeling unmotivated. I'm feeling sad. What am I feeling? What thoughts are creating those feelings? And there's always a core belief about, yeah. and then we start to observe, like, what's that core belief that is keeping me from taking action in the direction of my best self, in the direction of my goals, in the direction of getting to a place where I've lost lost uh, the body fat I need to lose to feel comfortable in my own skin, to feel active, to feel energized, to feel healthy, to be healthy. What is that vision of I have for my life and why are my actions not aligning with that vision? Let's get intentional. And it all comes from the power of our thoughts. And we have power over our thoughts. We just don't know it most of the time. Isn't that interesting how, I'm sure you've noticed this as well, how people treat health and fitness and exercising and taking care of themselves as if it's a different, completely different thing than every other aspect of their life. Because if you right. think of just showing up when you're motivated, think of showing up as a mom when you're just motivated. I don't think it's going to work right. Just think mm -hmm. of just showing up for your, for your job when you're motivated. I don't think you're going to have a job for a very long time. Think of just showing up for your relationship when you're motivated. You're not going to have a great relationship. And so it's so interesting that we, as a human, approach this area so differently. Because we know mm -hmm. that if we study, we can pass the exam, we can graduate. So it's just about showing up in that area. Same thing for health and fitness, right? Mm -hmm. We just, we just approach it in such a different way, which is so interesting to me. Do you identify like, why do you think that is that people approach this area of life completely differently than all the areas, which already have the tools necessary to succeed in this area, but it just 
they don't translate it to this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think it part of it comes from this place of uh, where we're not connected to to love for ourselves, that unconditional love for ourselves. I think that leads to the self sabotage. Also, when it comes to and and nutrition is the the toughest of the two, in my opinion, um, with exercise. Exercise, you know, you need to be active and you know get yourself going for an hour hour a day. Food, that temptation of eating crap and what's convenient is there 24-7. So that's that's a tough one. There's social factors involved. Like this is not an easy shift. And um, when it comes to training towards your goals, you know, this is something that you don't see the results right away. And we're in, especially now we're in this this culture of needing things to happen so quickly, right? We need to get everything in sound bites. We need to see the results right away. We need to get a like on Instagram. You know, when these are our motivations, then that doesn't set you up to create a way of life that is conducive to really what most people do want. They want, people want to live long, healthy lives. Yeah. Delayed gratification is the thing that we suck at. Ultimately. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah so Amazon Prime screwed it up for all of us. It was like, oh, I can get this new thing that I want now and I don't have to leave my house. Um, yeah, it's the world, definitely the world as it shifted just from like 2000, 2010 to now, everything has gotten faster, quicker, you can just consume more so much more easily. And I think, yeah, it is affecting people's psychology in terms of like, learning to be patient, delaying gratification. And I think that's why more people are, again, putting on more weight than ever, people are getting more in debt than ever, people are putting themselves in worse positions than ever because it's just that that instant kick and hit of like, now I want to feel good now. I can't afford to wait four months, six months to look the way that I want to, right? It has to happen now. Right, and then when we go for those quick, you know, quick fixes, they're not sustainable. You know, the changes, the way people are getting there, the, you know, extra two hours of, training so hard every day and the the restricting the eating and listening to the diets out there with you know no carbs you're walking around hungry like none of that none of that is a lifestyle yeah. uh, none of that is is sustainable so when you're getting getting to the the goal in unsustainable ways then you're left with an unsustainable routine so of course you're going to fall back into the patterns that you know So we really look at how can we create new patterns and how can we really focus on a different why? So I have people in in my coaching programs and in my 22 Reboot program, not focus on the weight loss. I'm like, how's that been working for you all these years when you're focused on the weight loss? That's my goal. I don't have people measure themselves in my program. I don't have people weigh themselves in my program. And yet they lose the weight and keep it off because we look at the bigger picture. We look at the the why, and then we focus on the present moment. We focus on the steps that they're taking each day to create new habits, to build a new way of moving through the world. And that starts in our mind. That absolutely involves our emotions. And when we can take that power back, take it away from the food, put it in our own hands, put it in our own thoughts, um, then we can set ourselves up for success that way. And, and the mindfulness piece of that is so important. Yeah. It sounds like a detoxification from the, the fitness world, ultimately, right? We talked about basically, it's basically a dopamine hit when you get the food and you watch the phone and you get the like, basically the, it's the addiction model, 
ultimately when yes. you look at it we're all addicted to like feeling good now today um and then we don't have the ability and then when you think of the addiction model so like they cut you out of all of it so that you can learn to operate without it but we don't think that it's a possibility sometimes so that's why i like kind of what you're doing with the detoxification kind of process of removing all these things of just focusing on like how do you feel Yes. And also it's a building a relationship, a new relationship with our bodies and with food and with exercise. We're working out because we love our bodies, not because we hate them. We are eating as a form of self-care. So eating that, you know, kale salad over the, you know, French fries, we're doing that out of love, not because it's a restriction, but it's going to make me feel good. It's going to give me energy. Oh, my body's going to feel like so grateful to me. Wow. This is a form of self-care. It's building a new relationship with um, food and that I'm going to sit here and actually look at my food. I'm going to experience my food. I'm going to say, wow, how beautiful is this colorful uh, bowl that I have right now with the tomatoes and the arugula and the avocado. And how does that feel going into my mouth? And I'm going to chew my food to a paste. I'm not going to be watching TV while I'm doing it. I'm going to feel how it feels in my mouth. I'm going to swallow. I'm going to notice my body, how it's feeling. I'm going to notice when my body starts to feel full so that I can stop when I'm about 80% full so that I don't overfill myself. So I don't eat more than my body needs. How can I use use food as a form of self-care as a fuel for my body. Yeah. And that's beautiful. I, basically bring, bringing presence to it. And again, we live in such a busy world of like, well, I'm going to work and let me just kind of eat my food throughout it. And you're numb to the whole thing. Yes. Or we try to make fast decision, the easiest decision. You ever heard that? Like, oh, I went to the restaurant, I ordered the easiest thing. And it was like the burger with the fries. I'm like, well, the Buddha bowl was right beside it. And it was literally the same amount of letters you had to say, right? Same amount of words, <laughs> but it's the easiest because it's the thing that right. you want. We're, yeah, yeah we're very interesting. Um, so Al, I want to say a massive thank you for, for taking the time to jump on the podcast. One thing I want to acknowledge you for, right? So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing your story, but I also appreciate you for jumping on the podcast. And here's why. A lot of coaches won't jump on other people's uh, coaching, uh, like on other people's podcasts have coaching programs. And I think there's a, a there's a fear of like, well, they might get clients from me if I go on their show and kind of like vice versa. At the end of the day, I, that's my opinion. That's why there's a lot of people that don't come on my show for that specific reason. They're like, well, what if this happens? I'm like, dude, we're on the same mission. We're mm -hmm. trying to help people eat plant-based. We're trying to help them save the animal, disease-proof their body and save the environment. And for the people listening, again, I, I am fully aware of everything that I do. If what Ella shared with you connects with you, go on Ella's website, go work with her. Don't come and work with me, right? I, I'm a different personality. I, I do things differently and that's just who I am. And Ella is who, is who she is. So if you connect with Ella, go on her website, work with her, right? I'm more than happy. All I want is for more people to disease-proof their body. For me, it's a health standpoint of why I originally transitioned, kind of like we talked on your show. But oh, work with Ella if, she can, if you connect with her, right? So I always want to be upfront and transparent. So I acknowledge you for jumping on the show and for having me on your show because not, not every other coach is willing to do that. Well, I really appreciate that, Maxime. And I, I agree. This is, you know, if we're, if we're coming from a space of abundance, I mean, there's so many people out there and we do and we're mission-driven people. And the mission is way outside ourselves. And it's outside my business. It's outside your business. 
this is about making this world a healthier, more compassionate place for all beings. And you do that amazingly. I do that. And there's plenty of people out there who need our help. Uh, so I'm all about promoting everyone's work and having people connect and find um, find the coach that really resonates best with them. So thank you uh, for, for this opportunity. Thanks for chatting with me and I uh, really appreciate what you do. You're welcome. And so for everyone listening, I have all of Ella's link down below for her podcast, Instagram, website, everything below. Go check out. She has amazing content. And I want to say a massive thank you to everyone for listening. And we will see you all in the next episode. And Ella, thank you very much once again. Thanks, Maxine. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support, please share it with others that would benefit from it. Share it on social media and be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Maxim underscore official and on YouTube at FitVegan. The links will also be in the show notes. I'll see you in the next episode.